There's no delaying uh, this discussion. Uh, we are going to just jump into the discussion of a loss uh, by uh, our friends at Heidelberg. Uh, it, it's, you know, always sad. Uh, we, we've faced this before uh, when Evan Hansen passed away from Wabash uh, a, few, a couple of years ago, I think it was now, uh, time flies, yeah. uh, but still hurts uh, nonetheless. And uh, hoping the Hansen family is still coping well, or to the degree you can well, uh, under the circumstances. I know his uh, parents had uh, definitely become advocates and uh, just general you know, members of the community that wanted to help others that faced the loss of their son uh, at such a young age, in his case, uh, at his own hands. Uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning, uh, Curtis Hellman, linebacker over at Heidelberg, died, uh, according to reports, uh, an ATV accident. Uh, we're not going to get into the uh, nuts and bolts uh, of that. There's no need to. Uh, a loss is a loss in these circumstances. Uh, the Heidelberg community is obviously grieving. You can see it from the social media activity out there. Um, it's you, you go from a Friday night victory against Wilmington to a loss of this magnitude for a team. And uh, we'll show and discuss in a little bit that this is not unique, obviously, to Heidelberg. This has happened throughout the country numerous times. It doesn't make it any easier. It doesn't give us the playbook for these situations in any way, shape, or form. It really, every time it's a challenge, a new challenge for the teams that have to face it. And the loss, we just send our love, prayers, and condolences to our friends at Heidelberg. You and I, JB, have been talking throughout the spring about the pleasure and the privilege it is to play football right now. we see schools canceling yeah. schedules or altering schedules in some cases and people kind of taking criticism for saying, well, that you're screwing the seniors out of games or screwing players out of games. There's a reality on the other side of it. You don't know what's going to happen in life the next day. And so, you know, give the players a chance at any way you can to play the game they love with the people they love because who knows what's going to happen next. And yeah, it seems tough to talk about it from, uh, you know, players who are 18 to 22 years old out there, but they can pass away. Things can happen. Yeah. God forbid. And it's just a reminder this weekend. I know this one hits hard, you know, for you as much as anybody. And go ahead. I'll give you the floor on this one. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, you know, I'm recording this from, you know, one of the kids' bedrooms here in the house and. Uh, losing a child would be it's a parent's worst nightmare so that's all I can say my heart breaks um, for the Hellman family and for the Heidelberg family to think if this bedroom that I'm in right now was was empty because of some terrible accident would be horrible so um, I don't really have much more than that right now and Hopefully we, you know, we'll we'll, we'll get to <laughs> hopefully some more happy stuff in this in this show. Though it's not going to be a happy show, to be honest, because you know we're going to talk to Coach Donaldson and and they're grieving there in Ohio. And and as much as we'll you know we'll do our yay rah rah with the with the highlight reel, you know this 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 one hurts. And especially after everything what people have been through with COVID and trying to overcome that and make this this season happen. 
to have something like this really it just it, it, it's like you know insult injury and uh, my heart breaks uh for for the hellmans and, and for the heidelberg family but you know hey uh and we'll get into it in our interview a little bit later on sometimes you know we we all you know experience loss in different ways in our life sometimes the best thing you can do is you just have to get up and keep going and doing what you love and and i think curtis somewhere wants to see his his teammates keep this uh, 2-0 win streak happening. He had a great game uh, in, his, in his last uh, his last football game um, last weekend, and, and he wants his, his teammates and his brothers and extended football family to keep moving on and, and keeping his memory alive. So we'll try to you know respect that with this show and, and what we say tonight. We're going to go directly into that interview with uh, Coach. It's one of those scenarios uh, where we're not going to have our normal opening sequence or anything like that here. Uh, we're going to go to the interview, and after the interview, uh, we'll have a little moment of silence. Uh, we appreciate coaches uh, joining us uh, on short notice under these circumstances. Uh, we will do our best to honor Curtis by doing our show. Uh, in talking about all the games, including Heidelberg at Wilmington on Friday night and have clips related to it as well, including his final recorded tackle coming up. Uh, we'll probably play that during uh, the next interview if I had a guess as well. Let's go to the interview with Coach. Coach, first off, thank you for joining us. I, 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 as I said to you when I extended the invitation, I hate even making this request for a number of reasons. Uh, it feels like we're sort of intruding uh, you know in a time where the family the Heidelberg football family and Curtis's family are all in a grieving mode and we do appreciate you giving us this time uh, a lot of people have been reaching out asking us how's the team doing so we wanted to ask you how's the team doing and kind of walk us through your Sunday basically as you found out about the news um so guys thank you for coming on and I told you earlier, I, uh, if anything to help, if this tragedy ever happens in the program in the future, um, I leaned on guys that I knew this happened to and really helped me get through this and helped me lead the team. But um, the team is obviously rough. I mean, it's it's uh, some guys are still in shock. Some guys are um, starting grieving. Some guys are, are just kind of lost right now. And to be honest, that's to be expected. Um, everyone's grieving process is going to be different, and uh, it, it, so it, it's it's going to be a long time to get back to some semblance of normal within our football program, to be honest with you. So um, I found out on Sunday morning. Um, actually, uh, my defensive coordinator you know, called me Sunday morning and uh, told me the news that he heard directly from one of our players and, um, you know, obviously, you know, rushed right into the office and uh, – you know, the, the first it was getting the getting the staff here, telling the staff, and then um, the hardest part was you know getting the getting the team together. You know, and as as bad as it sounds, obviously there we're still in COVID, so getting a, a team of 120 guys in a room is still very difficult. And um, even under the circumstances, we we still have to keep our kids safe. So. Um, I was very, very fortunate to have the Heidelberg community uh, right with us the second. Uh, Chris Abrams, our Dean of Students, um, 
was the second person I talked to. He already knew. Um, the president was the third person I talked to. My athletic director was the fourth. I mean, it was, and by the time I got in the office, everyone was here. Everyone was talking about, okay, how are we going to let the kids know? So we got the kids together and, you know, um, we were able to tell them about 11 o'clock in the morning. So it was a, a pretty quick process, pretty quick turnaround. Um, but obviously I wanted to make sure that our players heard it from us. That they didn't hear it on social media, they didn't hear it on, on a news channel. They, they heard it from us, um, so we, we can start that process together as a family. Well, coaches, as you know, you mentioned you've got brought the team together. Um, you know, you've had a successful start to the spring campaign. You've won both your games. You're supposed to have a third game on Friday night, but I mean, has there been any conversations about? postponing the the game with Otterbein just given all that's happened or is this one of those potential opportunities where it's you know you you would want to keep playing uh to keep to keep the guys you know somewhat focused and and kind of do it in the honor of their of their teammate what are you guys thinking about now well it, you know and obviously that was something we we approached last night so after we did tell them at 11 we brought them back in um, actually had uh, one of our uh, alumni owns a banquet hall and was able to to get a lot of a lot of big guys fed, um, and and we talked real quick about it and it wasn't a question in anyone's mind that we we want to play, um, we want to play this weekend and we're going to play this weekend, and uh, for two reasons. Number one, that's what Curtis would have wanted. I know that um, yeah. Curtis was a a young man absolutely dedicated to football. And number two, we need it. We need football. You know, um, these players, that's what they know. They need the uh, the, the daily uh, yeah. grind of football to, at the very least, it's a distraction. Um, and at the very most, it can be something that, that can help them get through this grieving process. Um, I know I personally, I need it. I need that, sure. um, you know, just the game planning, the, the, the film, the practice, just to, again, help me make sense of this and, and help me get through this. And I know the players do too. By 5 o'clock Sunday evening, uh, you type uh, Curtis's name into Facebook and it was already trending, uh, basically, and on uh, any other social media uh, out there. Uh, it, it's hard to believe for some people that 25,000 Division three student-athletes in the game of football, one could change a lot of people's lives and matter that much to so many people, but this young man did, certainly, it's clear. I went back on his uh, social media and Twitter and saw how elated he was to be attending Heidelberg and to be playing for Heidelberg in the football team. Uh, I'm sure there are going to be a lot of stories shared throughout this next week as uh, services are held and everything else happens uh, surrounding it. What's your Curtis Hellman story uh, with respect to uh, when you first met him or uh, something that stood out about him? Because uh, I'm, I'm reading so many good things about him uh, right now. I uh, would love to hear something from you as well. Yeah, Kurt, Curtis was, uh, to be honest, he, he was a coach's dream. You know, um, he, he obviously a great football player, um, great student. Um, you know, actually a couple of his professors have already reached out. I mean, and that doesn't happen every day, but he was a coach's dream. He was never late for anything, never missed anything. He was there and he gave 100% effort with 100% attitude. 
Um, and I actually remember my last conversation with him Friday night after the game, you know, we we're kind of waiting to get on the bus and just BS it. And I was actually, I'm actually his linebacker coach too. And talked about you know, coach and he played a great game on Friday night against Wilmington against a good team and didn't want to talk about his tackles or his, um, you know, he had really good coverage, made a couple really good hits. He wanted to talk about coach. You gotta, you gotta see this rat technique on film and rat technique is just basically, you're helping out coverage by taking out the, the low crossers. And uh, that's what he wanted to talk about. That's what he was most proud of was a technique in which he's not going to make any plays. <laughs> he's not going to get a sack. He's not going to get an interception. Um, but he was so proud of, of how perfect the technique was. And it was. It was absolutely perfect rat technique. Um, but that, that just goes to show you how much – he loved the details of football and he loved his teammates so much that he was happier doing something where he's going to get zero credit for, but is going to help his teammates that, that, that are actually in coverage or help his teammates get to the pass rusher or what. And it's just a, a perfect example of, of, of Curtis. It really was. And, and like I said, it's not, this isn't just a loss for his family. <coughs> excuse me, his family and, and our family and everyone that knew him. This is a loss for the world. Curtis was going to do great things in his life. And that's the hardest thing, I think, to comprehend. Um, he was going to be a criminal, he was a criminal justice major. Um, he was going to do great, great things for the world in his life. And that's, that's the hardest thing I'm getting through right now. Yeah, I, I can only imagine, uh, Coach. When you know you mentioned you mentioned family. Obviously, the you know the student princes team is a is a big family. Um, but also, there's alongside from yours and the other coaching staffs families. How how is the how is the Hellman family uh, been handling all of this? I can only speak from my own experience. I, I my my brother in law passed away unexpectedly about ten years ago, and the the horrible thing with with sometimes it's an untimely passing is, you know, the sun still comes up the next morning and there's kids to take care of, there's jobs to do, there's this, life doesn't stop, even even in the in the face of, of a horrific tragedy. So how how has this extended family um, been helping each other out, I guess, because it's really, you have to lean on each other during, you know, these these, these tough times. But how, how are the Hellmans and how is the, the rest of kind of the extended family doing? Well, they're great people. They're a great family. Um, you know, Curtis has two sisters, and um, I've spoken to the father a couple of times, and obviously they, they lost a son, and, um, but they're such great people. They've actually reached out to uh, a couple of uh, Curtis's closest friends, um, guys that he grew up with that are actually, they went to Heidelberg together. Um, guys that he's met while he's here. The, the father has actually reached out to a couple of them, just checking on them. And that that just speaks volumes about uh, the character of that family. Um, that obviously they're going through the worst situation in life and they're, they're, they're making sure the Curtis's friends are okay. I mean, that, that's, that's pretty unbelievable. Speaking of uh, checking on people and whatnot, uh, I, I know that the OAC is a close-knit family of coaches in the football ranks. Uh, Otterbein uh, is up next uh, for you and uh, Ohio Northern after that the following week. And uh, I, I have a feeling those coaches uh, probably have reached out to you by now to send their condolences. Uh, what, uh, what in your acumen, 
I guess, prepares you for the fallout from something like this, how to handle it, and what what is next here in terms of, uh, you know, who's been helping and, you know, directing here a little bit to get you guys into the focus of how to even deal with this, because I, I don't think there's a playbook out there for handling something like this, or at least not one that's universal. No, no, um, and nothing prepares for this, nothing. Um, and there's, there's you, you hit the nail on the head. The OEC coaches are very close. Um, a lot of us have been in the OEC a long time, either work together or just, I mean, we're very close. Um, and honestly, the first person I called was Tim Daub over at Outermine. And because he went through a similar tragedy a couple of years ago, um, and he helped me immensely. Um, and then Dean Paul reaching out again, went through it, and Brian Moore at Wilmington. I mean, every single coach I've ever met, um, have ever had a passing with or had, had a beer with at a convention has reached out, um, which, it, you know, the Division Three community, especially in the Midwest, is very tight, and we take care of each other. So um, that, that's been phenomenal, but it's very blessed to be in a school like Heidelberg. That is such a small school that is a very tight-knit community. Um, so it's obviously, you know, I, I'm trying to get, get through my own grief, but also, you know, with our players. So it's been great to have such support from our, our Dean of Students, our, our campus chaplain, Paul Stark, our, I mean, everyone from the marketing department to the psychology to the counseling department. Um, at practice tonight, actually, there, there's going to be 10 counselors after practice um, through our, our counseling master's program that are going to be coming out. Our, our uh, campus chaplain is going to come out with us also. So um, these young men and, and the staff, too, have every resource available um, to, to help help them get through this grief. Um, and and that, that I know is very special. I remember uh, back when uh, I was a broadcaster for Union College uh, in upstate New York here, uh, Mark Stokes passed away, I believe, the night after uh, a win by Union, uh, which was a Saturday, normal Saturday fall game. And just the devastation that came with it for the team for the remainder of the season. Uh, they, got, they paid great respect and honor to him hanging his jersey at all times on the fence uh, on their uh, sideline. Uh, he was always with them in that way, but it was it was just something that was uh, inexplicable in terms of watching the grief pour through that team for a much beloved uh, brother and teammate. And so, our hearts go out to you, the Heidelberg family, the football family, uh, the Heidelberg family beyond just football, and Curtis's family. Uh, this is just sad and horrific for as much as you were celebrating a big win Friday night into Saturday uh, to have to basically go through the realities of life again as JB pointed out you make it through COVID to a certain degree you think that's the roughest thing you got to go through in the 2020-2021 uh, you know stanza and then this happens so coach again thank you for joining us and again uh, send our uh, love and prayers out to everybody on your end I appreciate it thank you guys
okay, like I said, uh, no opening sequence as normal here. Uh, let's talk about what we are going to do uh, for the rest of the show. Uh, we, in loving memory, will continue the show and talk football. Uh, that, that's the way it's supposed to be, I think, under these circumstances. Though, again, I don't have a playbook to tell you whether it's right or wrong. I just will go on instinct at this point. Um, yep. Crunch time coming up. We're going to talk after that about an interesting and bizarre situation that developed out of the USA South uh, with respect to tiebreaker issues and this whole new divisional uh, structure versus conference structure, etc. Hang in there on that one. We're going to also talk the question of targeting a little bit more. Uh, Something got a little exposed again this past weekend. For the second straight week, a targeting issue uh, came up in the limited number of games that we had, and we wanted to help players understand what you can and cannot do because there's a lot of misinformation that goes on out there uh, related to that. Also, uh, we're going to take a close look at the final play of the Utica Alfred game. There was some football on Monday to talk about, and uh, you and I are going to uh, give our Monday Night Football. D3. Yep. <laughs> <Who knew? laughs> somewhat controversial ending, somewhat uh, interesting play calling going on there. So yeah. we're going to take a look yeah. at that. Um, we are seeing some programs say we're done for the season. Kalamazoo is the most recent on Monday night uh, that we saw that from. Uh, yeah. I think that's, uh, was it Muskingum, I think, uh, has canceled uh, one or two games now as well. Uh, there are challenges, obviously, personnel-wise and resource-wise and among other things sure. going on. Uh, we understand it. Uh, we feel for the seniors in those schools that may not be returning because it, it sort of takes the carpet out from under them to not even have their senior night necessarily in those circumstances. Sure, yeah. um, you know, what, give us your, This is basically halftime, if you really get down to it for this uh, spring season. What's your progress report is- so far? on what we've done and where we are. Well, you know, I think, you know, this past weekend, we'll, we had the most games that we're probably going to see for the rest of the spring season. Um, we're eight weeks in, depending on how you look at it, and there's about 14 or 15 weeks total. So we're at the, the turning point. And I think the, the good news is, Frank, is that we've seen some really great competition. We proved the myth that these games are meaningless is false. These kids play as hard as they ever have. It's maybe even more important to win these games than it is uh, in a a fall season, even with no national championship or anything to be played for, uh, because there are some kids that are getting their last chance, and it's a very lucky last chance to play given times with COVID. And when you think about the cost of, you know, Division III level education and you know jobs and life and everything else that's going on, it's it's been a very special spring season and I give a lot of credit to the schools and the conferences and the presidents and the coaches and the players and everybody involved to make something happen. We haven't had any cancellations due to some COVID outbreak where people are dying or hospitalized or anything like that. Uh, A lot of testing protocols have been established and like we said in the last show, there is a pretty good playbook already about how to do this. So if you're on the fence and you know, it's the end of March and most schools wrap up around May. If you want to try to get a game in between now and then, you know, all, all I got to say to you is watch the tape of the Mary Harden-Baylor, uh, Harden-Simmons game. That offensive line, which was mostly freshmen, 
they have come into their own because of this spring season, and it's going to give that team an advantage, which might propel them to a national championship in the fall. So if you're on the fence, you think you're like, well, maybe we should, you know, if you want to be competitive, if you want to give your, your student athletes a chance to compete, give it a try. There, there is a way to do this safely. We've seen it for two months, eight weeks, you know, come on. We're, you know, games are going to get canceled because of a number of different reasons, but at the end of the day, just give it a chance if you're thinking about it. Otherwise, you know, we'll be happy to have a break in about a month and take some take some time off before August rolls around where we'll hopefully get back to some more normal uh, types of stuff in the fall, but we'll see. I'll reiterate something I said on Fox Sports uh, Central Texas on the radio on Friday. I, I basically guarantee that the winner of next year's or next season's national championship will be a team that played spring games. I, I think it's absolutely no doubt, hundred percent in the cards uh, that that's the case. And yeah, I know that makes North Central and Wisconsin Whitewater odd men out to a certain degree right now. Uh, but absolutely. honestly, uh, I think as you said, Mary Harden Baylor. We said it from weeks ago, and I said it on that interview as well. That's a team that needed spring football to know who they yeah. were, to know who their personnel was or wasn't going to be come the fall. I think we learned real fast that they have gained an identity through some highs and lows in the spring season without dropping a game. They had some close calls and were threatened at the end of that Harden-Simmons game, as we'll see coming up here in crunch time, which we're going to dive into for week eight of the spring Division Three football season. We're going to start on Thursday night briefly here because, hey, Carnegie Mellon, thanks for getting rid of your video of this game as well. Uh, it's happening again, but we're going to have one play that we did grab during the game itself of Grove City at Carnegie Mellon. It was the final play of the first half. Uh, the offensive line for Grove City did an outstanding job throughout the night. Josh East sneaks in for the touchdown here on the final play of the first half. I mean, it was all or nothing hour, and they said O-line lead the way and they did it was 24 14 final in favor of grove city cameron drake had a night 10 receptions 171 yards and a touchdown and you can see the rest of the stats there the time of possession though 40 to 20 uh, i know we have some uh, gurus out there that don't believe in that statistic but that statistic meant a lot on thursday night also in the pack Washington and Jefferson 66, Waynesburg 0. They led 42 to nothing at the half. Outgained uh, Waynesburg 479 to 165. Justin Heacock with the 17 for 22 night, 201 yards, four passing touchdowns, and a rushing touchdown. That's a night or day or evening or whatever. I, you know, it's Friday. I, it could be anything at this point. Uh, what time of day you're playing the game? <laughs> Big showing Saint, under the Friday night lights. <laughs> there you go. St. Vincent versus, uh, versus Bethany 35 to 6, St. Uh, six St. Vincent, uh, Brady Walker, 15 for 21, 39. Likes it. I love seeing this efficiency from some of these quarterbacks. I mean, 75% efficiency, not too bad there uh, for St. Yeah. Vincent. Uh, also, Westminster, 52, Geneva, 21, as it was a 45-7 to lead for uh, Westminster at halftime. It seems like the pack has a, an instance here of the, the haves versus the have-nots of the past are definitely stepping forward. That Washington and Jefferson score, the Westminster score, uh, I think they're representative of something here. Grove City, yeah. Carnegie Mellon was a good game, and we knew it would be, but we're seeing that 
who we thought certain teams were, they in fact are in the pack. Well, absolutely. Westminster was an ECAC Bowl champion at the end of 2019. They steamrolled back out. Same deal with the Titans. Uh, Grove City, we knew that they would have a tough game against Carnegie Mellon. But yeah, I mean, this is probably a conference that's a little lopsided. And so we'll see, you know, for the rest of the season how th this plays out. But what should be interesting is, you know, we're not that far down the road from what will eventually be a basically conference championship game in about four weeks between the two best teams in this conference. Should be a great one. Agreed 100%. Let's roll over to the ODAC right now, which is uh, heading toward their crossover weekend here. And Randolph-Macon, Hampton-Sydney, what we thought would be a close game, was not. In the second quarter, Randolph-Macon was up 14 to nothing on a third and 10 play. Uh, this is uh, Hampton-Sydney with the ball. Uh, Tanner Bernard's pass was intercepted by Kay Jones at the 40-yard line of the Tigers. Uh, returned to the 29. Five plays later, Presley Egbers rushes over the left end for three yards to get the touchdown in a 21-0 lead. Let's go to the fourth quarter as Randolph-Macon's uh, David Willis, or excuse me, David Wallace has a 19-yard touchdown reception from Presley Egbers, and it makes it 28-0 final Randolph-Macon. They outgained Hampton-Sydney 349-97. Egbers 16 for 20. Wow. That's 80%. 212 yards, two passing and two rushing touchdowns in that game. Also on video here is Shenandoah Bridgewater. And Shenandoah, uh, it was a 7-6 game in their favor through the third quarter. Let's go to the fourth quarter. Bridgewater's Kyle Beck had a two-yard pass from Matt Lawton. Uh, the two-point conversion attempt failed, so it's now 12-7 in favor of Bridgewater. About three and a half minutes later, uh, Bird gets a one-yard touchdown run here. It's 13-12 in favor of Shenandoah. Matt Lawton says, I'll take it myself this time for Bridgewater with four and a half minutes left. And it's now 18-13 after the fourth and goal touchdown. Note that fact, it was fourth and goal and they went for it and got the touchdown. But with 32 seconds left, Brant Butler gets a seven yard touchdown pass from Mr. Sonnenberg, Chris Sonnenberg with that big pass. The uh, two-point conversion failed, but it still was 19-18 in favor of Shenandoah, and that was our final as they won the game with 32 seconds left. Sonnenberg, 24 for 34, 261, a touchdown, two interceptions. Uh, but let, let's face it, the game-winning pass to Brant Butler, 32 seconds left, highlights that night, and Lawton with two rushing touchdowns for Bridgewater. Also in the ODAC, Ferrum 41, Guilford 12. We're going to go through these a little quicker here at this point, folks, uh, as we uh, go to the uh, also uh, Rands uh, that we're not showing here uh, on video. But, but Ferrum with that 41-12 win, uh, their defense held Guilford to 34 rushing yards, had six sacks, 13 tackles for a loss, three fumble recoveries, and just a partridge in a pear tree kind of uh, night right there. Uh, the ODAC looking, it's official actually, it's Randolph-Macon, Emory and Henry. It should be a good game. Well, Frank, it's kind of like the Stinger Bowl, right? You got the Wasps, you got the Yellow Jackets, you know, we might need some, you know, anti-something <laughs> syringes going on the sideline. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, but you know they got hornets in this division. You know this is like the bee bowl or something. I don't know what I don't know what to say here, Frank. I... Good good night, folks. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Oh, oh wow. Oh, you know what? We're gonna keep that and roll on. Unfortunately, we're gonna take a little bit of a, a somber tone here as we get into the OAC, and for obvious reasons here. 
Yeah. Uh, so we will uh, put on our game face at this point here. Heidelberg 38, Wilmington 16. Let's look at the clips here as we have uh, basically a 7-3 score in favor of Heidelberg. Uh, it became the Maceo Matthews show, though, for Heidelberg as he gets a 71-yard touchdown pass from Drew Sims about two minutes into the second quarter, making it 14-3. Then about four and a half minutes left in that second quarter, Matthews again from Sims from 28 yards out makes it 21-3. In the second half, special teams takes over as Aaron Pardo has his punt blocked and recovered by Garrett Mullet inside the end zone, essentially, for the touchdown with 5.25 left in the third quarter. It's 28-10 in favor of Heidelberg. Let's go to the uh, first play of the fourth quarter. This is the final tackle registered uh, according to the play-by-play for Curtis Hellman. And it was an important play for the simple reason uh, stopping this drive early in the fourth quarter pretty much confirmed the victory for Heidelberg. And uh, he did a great job getting over there in time to help contain and pull down the offensive player. Happiness, elation on a 38-16 win uh, in which they outgained, uh, were outgained actually 405 to 358. It's an, it was an interesting tale of stats when you really looked at it. But Sims had 290 yeah. passing yards and four touchdowns. Heidelberg's defense with eight sacks. You know the rest of the story from the beginning of this show, what happened after that. Uh, again, in loving memory of Curtis Hellman and uh, prayers and love to his family and football family. And the rest of the yeah. OAC, John Carroll, 34, Marietta, 10. Uh, Jake Floria, 17 for 19, 142, 142, three touchdowns and an interception. Ohio Northern, 47, Capital, 6. As Ohio Northern outgame Capital, 585 to 186. So, again, it, it's interesting. Right now, if you had to guess uh, here, Heidelberg, Ohio Northern, and Mount Union sort of being the cream of the crop in the OAC. Yeah, and we'll see Mount Union return to action this weekend. But for the most part, you know, people in this conference are used to chasing Mount Union. It'll be interesting to see after the struggles that Heidelberg has gone through. They've got a big game with Ohio Northern in, in a couple of weeks. We'll, you know, We'll have to wait and see how it all pans out. Here's an interesting uh, game, uh, and we're going to talk more about the situation uh, later on. Brevard at Maryville. Uh, first quarter, 12-15 right. left. Brevard, uh, Cedric Brooks with an 18-yard pass from Stephen Hogan. That made it 7-0 to uh, early on in favor of Brevard. There wouldn't be another touchdown scored in this game for four and a half hours because of two weather delays, including tornado warnings, and severe thunderstorms. The next clip you're going to see is going to show you just how much water was on the field and how the conditions were not favorable to playing football anymore in that field. Yeah. Six and a half minutes left. Brevard's Damon Rouse with a five-yard touchdown run. It's 14-3. That's the final score. Whether or not this game should have continued is uh, something that's going to be up for debate. We'll get into that discussion later. But Brevard wins it. Uh, Steve Hogan, 10 for 17, 99 yards and a touchdown. Brevard's defense, three interceptions, two by Quentin Jackson. Also, Methodist, 52, Greensboro, 20, as Brandon Bullens has five passing touchdowns. On the other side, though, David Lawfrey uh, with 16 for 28, 295 in terms of uh, Beth er, Greensboro's uh, stats, two interceptions, three touchdowns for him. In addition to that, Averett, 33, North Carolina Wesleyan, 29. Bryce Jackson uh, from Averett with the 21 for 36, day 278, three touchdowns. 
And also, let's go to the uh, NWC here, Northwest Conference, as we had uh, Pacific versus George Fox game. Pacific wins it, and kind of a surprise to us, 26-3 as Kenyon Harris. Yeah, we missed that one. <laughs> yep, 16 for 18, 2063 touchdowns, and Joshua Harris, 29 rushes, 127, and a touchdown. Uh, let's just uh, go through some other ones here without video. Uh, UMAC won the game played. It was Westminster 30, Greenville 22. As Greenville committed three turnovers in the game, and Wide Ellis had a 13 for 21 day passing. Adrian loses to Trine 33 23 as Trine bounces back. Adrian led 16 to 14 at the half, though. Uh, it was Zane Kirby. Remember him from the fall with 22 rushes. That's Aaron D3. Yards. Yep, two touchdowns for him. <laughs> Uh, and then Alma beats Kalamazoo 13 to zero. That is Kalamazoo's final game of this uh, season. Yeah. Uh, as Brandon Hamilton uh, from Alma with a 19 rushing, uh, 19 rushes on the day, 103 yards and a touchdown for them. Uh, place kicker Zach Clements with a 42-yard field goal in that game, one of his two field goals. Illinois Wesleyan for the CCIW's one game beats Augustana 12 to zero. As IWU's defense held Augustana to five first downs, forced two turnovers, and Sage Schindler went 19 for 35, 170, and a touchdown. Before we get into the ASC games, good to see some of these uh, conferences, you know, teams playing a hodgepodge scenario here, one or two offs. Look, as you said at the beginning of the show, this is an important thing for these teams to do something this spring season. Yeah, and we even saw it in the Brevard game, Frank, because, I mean, Steve Hogan is the backup quarterback. He's probably not going to start over Eli Carr in the fall. Maybe he will, but you know, Eli uh, went out with a supposed injury or who, who knows what happened. But this is, a, this is why you have this spring season. It gives other players the opportunities to come in, uh, whether it's designed or not. Maybe the coaches just wanted him to get a chance to play in the conditions or what have you. But these kinds of opportunities are so very rare given what's happened in this past 18 months. And so, you, you know, you, you love to see it as a fan. You love to see these interesting games. I mean, there was a few lopsided contests here and there, but for the most part, in, in each of these conferences, definitely some good, good, uh, good games developing and really sort of conference races already starting in the spring, which are gonna play out in the fall. Let's go to the five crossover games in the American Southwest Conference. The uh, game of the weekend had to still be yeah. Mirror Hardin Baylor at Hardin Simmons. Only touchdown of the first half was with 821 left in the first half, or first quarter, excuse me, Kyle King with a three yard touchdown run. He made it to a 7 0 game. Uh, it was uh, Cunningham with two field goals in that half, and a halftime lead was 13 0 in favor of Mary Hardin Baylor. 1044 left though, third quarter. Gatlin Martin with a two-yard pass from Mark Reed, uh, and it was 13 to seven. It was a wildcat, wildcat situation. That's why, why it's not Kyle Jones there. Uh, so they kind of fooled him with a shovel pass out of the wildcat scenario. There, trick plays all over the place in this game. 13 to seven in favor of Mary Harn Baylor. Cunningham adds his third field goal though. It was 16 to seven in the fourth quarter. 14 minutes left. It's Gary Ruckman getting the seven-yard pass from Brenton Martin. Again, there's trickeration there as it was kind of the reverse end-around pass uh, type situation there. 23-7 in favor of Mary Harn Baylor. A few plays later, though, uh, watch what happens here. This looks like a sure touchdown for Harden-Simmons until Jaden Smith pokes the ball out around the three-yard line. It rolls out of the back of the end zone. That is a touchback. First down, Mary Harden Baylor. Look at the slow mo as well, and you can see clearly the ball is popped out and goes across the yeah, goal line out. and through the end zone. It is a good call. Then a little bit later, 
On the other side of the ledger, Jefferson Fritz called for targeting. This was a huge Ooh. momentum scenario because he has become really the anchor for the defense. And you can see it here in sure. a couple ways. We'll talk more about this after crunch time. With 7.52 left, Harden Simmons gets a touchdown as uh, Miles Featherston with a four-yard run makes it 23-15, still in favor of Mary Harden-Baylor. Mirhan Baylor has a chance to go up two possessions late in the game with about 2.19 left, but a blocked field goal. This time uh, was blocked. Uh, player not named here, uh, but you can see clearly good play gives a chance to Harden Simmons, and they get down the field a little bit, but on a fourth and 23 from the Harden Simmons 39, Kyle Jones's pass is incomplete. Mary Harden Baylor wins the American Southwest Conference 23 to 15. And Kenneth Cormier with 26 rushes for them, 144 yards in the day. Uh, Cunningham's three t field goals out of four. Obviously, the fourth one blocked. It was a great day for him. Kyle Jones, though, for Harden Simmons with the passing touchdown and one interception. In the rest of the crossover games, the two seeds were uh, East Texas Baptist 51, Texas Lutheran 20, as uh, the outgaining scenario was 524 to 272 in favor of ETBU there. Bellhaven 38, Howard Payne 17 in a three-seed battle. Brad Foley with 20 rushes, 136 yards and a touchdown. McMurray in a very late touchdown wins at 32-31 over Louisiana College. Thanks for not keeping that video up, Louisiana College, and see you in the NAIA, I guess, from here on out. Yeah, as good luck. Led by 11 <laughs> points at halftime, McMurray scores with 11 seconds left as uh, Jermon Lovely gets the 19-yard pass from Ricardo Luna. And finally, in the five-seed matchup, Sol Ross State 25, Southwestern 16, as Southwestern outgained Sol Ross State 297-189, but the scoreboard says otherwise ultimately here, as it was Ozias Wright from Sol Ross State with 29 rushes, 79 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, kind of one of those backward games. The stats don't tell the whole story Yeah, that one. Also, let's go on the non-conference game on this slide as Loris beats Northwestern Minnesota 61-13. to You can see the stats there, but entertaining football all around in the American Southwest Conference, my friend, and uh, thanks to them for getting this together this season. Yeah, absolutely. And once again, just have to reiterate the crew offensive line pretty much won that game in the trenches um, for the Crusaders and another ASC title for them. And, you know, it's funny. It reminds me of back in the day when, uh, you know, Pedro Martinez used to call the Yankees his daddy. Well, that's kind of what's going on there in Texas. I mean, I really thought that Harden Simmons might make the jump. Um, eventually they, they, they will. But the first half, Frank, I, you watch the game. No emotion, no, like the, nothing good happened for the Cowboys. I don't know if like playing this team gets in their head or what. It's something that I think it's going to boil down to the coaching and maybe even recruiting. Like there's, there, there's a, there's a gap still there where the Crusaders know, like we're just going to beat you guys when we show up on the field. And it, it was just so apparent. I mean, I'll give HSU some credit. They made a little push there at the end, made it interesting in the fourth quarter. But that game was never in doubt from literally from the second it kicked off. And that's something if, if Harden Simmons wants to be taken seriously on a national level, they're going to have to figure out what's going on there and change change their culture because this this was a great opportunity for them and they just didn't show up. You can now book your ticket to Belton and cancel your ticket to Abilene. I'm just going to let you know that right now, my friend. <laughs> Let's go to the 
uh, Heartland, because you may have to go there soon in hiding, uh, is a Hanover yes. win over Rose Holman, uh, 27-24. And this game was a big one for the Heartland for a number of reasons. Let's dive into it. Uh, 7-7 tie early on. Four minutes left first quarter. Rose Holman's Shane Welshens gets a 53-yard pass from Andrew Dion. It is a uh, one-play drive, so you can see that they went for broke and got it with a 14-7 Rose Holman lead. In the first play of the second quarter, though, Hanover's Walt Ballinger gets a 14-yard touchdown run, making it 14-14. to yeah, Later, though, about five and a half minutes later to be exact, Hanover's Jared Frank gives Hanover their first lead uh, in quite some time. Uh, and the 18-yard pass, Jared Frank gets it from Matthew Weimer, 21-14, halftime score in favor of Hanover. In the third quarter, Rose Holman's Jake Zimmerman gets a five-yard pass from Andrew Dion. And it's uh, good uh, to make it, the kick is good, excuse me, make it 21-21. The team's trade field goals, those are the kicks I was thinking of for a second there, as uh, we get to the midway point of the fourth quarter. But then 24-24, this big defensive play on fourth down and one. Hand off, pushing forward. I don't know if he got it. I don't think he did. And Hanover is going to take over on down. Hanover gets the ball back. It leads to this with 13 seconds left. Attempt by Austin Stoyer. It is up. It is long enough. And it is good! The field goal is good. We'll see the final play here. It is not going to be completed. Hanover hangs on to wow. win it. 27-24. Place kicker Austin Steyer with that 29-yard field goal with 13 seconds remaining. Weimer, 20 for 36, 284, one touchdown on the day. Also in the Heartland, Anderson, 51, Manchester, 20th. Tyson Harley went 32 for 43, 379, five passing and one rushing touchdowns. Anderson defense with four interceptions on the day. Franklin, 26, Bluffton, 21. Two-game losing streak there for Bluffton now as Dane Andrews from Franklin went 17 for 25, 231, one touchdown, one interception. Bluffton committed three turnovers, though, kind of shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, in that game. Mount St. Joseph 41, Defiance 22, Josh Taylor uh, 50% uh, passing there with 223 touchdowns and 14 rushes for another 72 yards there for him. Also, uh, we should look at the ARC. Uh, Simpson and Buena Vista uh, did not play an actual game. They downgraded that to a scrimmage. That's why it's showing the X's there in the scoreboard. We wanted to at least take note of that fact. In Dubuque, 17, yep. Co 13. As Dubuque outgained Co 417 to 199. Uh, Jake Keller with 188 yards, two touchdowns, but four interceptions. So Dubuque kind of kept Co in that game. And Co had a chance at the end, but could not convert ultimately. Let's go to our last page here, believe it or not. We're almost there, folks, but we've got a great thing okay. to talk about. <laughs> in the NACC, Wisconsin Lutheran at Concordia, Wisconsin. The halftime oh, yeah. score was 24-17 because of this last second play. Hail Mary, end zone, bound and caught for a touchdown! Oh, you got to be kidding me! Orlando Nixion able to haul in the Hail Mary, and the Warriors go Great up. Great job there, and again, 24-17 is the score in favor of Wisconsin Lutheran at that point. And let's now go to the third quarter as Orlando Nixian gets a 23-yard pass from Nick Yaki to up that lead to 31-17 in favor of Wisconsin Lutheran. 
It's Concordia, Wisconsin coming back, though. 440 left, third quarter. Tim Houlihan, 10-yard pass from James Lynn, 31-23 after the kick failed. Now in the fourth quarter, they try to tie the game. Concordia's James Lynn with a 13-yard run of his own. The touchdown by the quarterback made it 31-31 after the two-point conversion pass uh, was good by Reed McNeil. So, great job coming back. Could they get the rest away? Well, Wisconsin Lutheran scores in return here with three and a half minutes left. Justin Parves with a one-yard touchdown run makes it 38-31. 57 seconds left. Concordia gets a touchdown. Christian Booker from James Lynn from eight yards out. And here we go. Let's see the two-point conversion play. Oh, man. What a gamble. What a gamble! What open! Booker able to haul it in! And the gamble pays off! It's their first lead of the game for Concordia, Wisconsin, 39-38. Could lightning strike twice, though, for Wisconsin Lutheran. Here is the second and ten play with about four seconds left. Yaki, with time, throws, end zone, bound, and... Picked off! Falcons win! No time left! No, they could not get a second Hail Mary to fall in there. Concordia, Wisconsin hangs on 39-38. I'll tell you, they got a good chunk of yards to get it in position for a possible Hail Mary to win that, or short Hail Mary to win it, but... Again, a great job there. You can see all the stats on your screen as well in the NACC. It's Lakeland 35, Rockford 7, as Charltez Nunnery 14 for 26, 179, three passing, one rushing touchdowns. Benedictine 38, Eureka 28, Tyler Jarnigan 29 for 46, 299, three touchdowns for Benedictine. Uh, Aurora 49, Concordia Chicago 13. Zimbelman finally got things rolling there in that game. A little bit of a slow start from what I understand. 19 for 35, 267, five passing touchdowns, two interceptions, eight rushes, though, also for 127 yards, showing his uh, feet there. So many yards. <laughs> yep. In the end, Jack, Wesley, Christopher Newport, which was supposed to be played Sunday, is now going to be played on April 2nd, this Friday at 6 p.m., not COVID-related, yep. just some other issues. And finally, believe it or not, it was Alfred winning 17-10. to 10. Uh, And in this game, uh, we're going to show the Saxons. you... Final touchdown scored by Alfred, and you can see the one-yard uh, quarterback run here for the touchdown. I made it 17 to 10, but also now Utica ate up a lot of time, purposefully it looked like, at the end of this game and left themselves with only a few seconds left after mm -hmm. a pass interference in the end zone. As a result, yeah. they have one play from the two-yard line with four seconds left, and here's what happens, and we're going to take a closer look after crunch time. It is not a touchdown. Alfred wins the game 17-10. to 10. Again, stats are on the screen. JB, uh, I, I kind of saw this coming that Alfred would bounce back after what I witnessed in that second half of the game where they were starting to feel out Utica better uh, last Tuesday, and they do end up winning. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you have to give credit to the Saxons' defense there, especially with their backs against the wall at home and – they just made a couple of key plays on the search, but yeah, I think you know you got to question a little bit of the the approach the pioneers took there with the with the clock. End of the day, it's you know, they 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 might have scored, they could have scored, but 
hey, it's a, it's a tough break. Hopefully we'll see Utica some more in the spring season. I know that they're on the phone with certain schools, um, possibly about getting another one or two games in there. I think that might be it for Alfred, although I know Coach Rankle and the Saxons are probably also getting those same calls. But, a, you know, a good back-and-forth game for, for both teams and certainly something that they can learn from. That's crunch time for Week 8 of the 2021 Spring Division Three football season. Right around the 30-minute mark for that with all those games. Uh, I think we actually go backward by a couple of games this coming week. Uh, yeah, we, it's so starting far. to – the schedules are going to start to shrink. So this is really like the meat of the spring season. Starting to get a little bit smaller, although, you know, we've been lucky. We've had some championship games like we saw with – Harden Baylor and Harden Simmons. We've got uh, Emory and Henry, uh, you know, E&H against uh, Randolph-Macon. You know, we've got some kind of a thing brewing in the USA South, which we thought we kind of understood which was going on, and then all of a sudden a Twitter storm blew up in our face. Maybe I stoked the flames. I just tried to ask a question. I mean, I'm trying to be a voice of the the proverbial fan. I know that there's others, more powers that be that want to opine or whatever, but you looked at the rules. You're a lawyer. There are certain things that literally, when you write them on paper, mean things. Please explain it to me like I'm a five-year-old. I'm going to sit back now. I, we certainly did not uh, script this this way, and I'm a little shocked you came at it from that angle. But you know what? <laughs> Fine. Here we go. <laughs> here, here, Frank, get on the soapbox. I'll help you. <laughs> That's what you just did. Yeah, come on. Just boosting you up here. I mean, this it's been interesting, though, because I think Brevard has a legitimate beef with this setup. But You know what? Yeah, we'll Brevard see. has a legitimate beef. Huntington has a legitimate beef. Any member of the USA South right now has a legitimate beef on how this is all playing out. I'm going to start this by saying this has been an odd season for the USA South in so many ways. This was the conference that had the behind-the-curve fan policy. And so when I reached out to Tom Hart, their commissioner, for answers on this, and we didn't get any response in two days... Is this one of those things where we talked about before, Frank, where it's the adults acting like children on behalf of the children? It, it might be. Uh, it might be. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I, so my preface here is that we probably didn't get a response because Tom Hart isn't a big fan of me right now. Uh, but you know what? We gave him an opportunity here. And Tom, if you're watching this, come on the show. We're doing another show for Thursday yeah. or Friday of this week. Please. Come on the show. We would love to talk to you about it. We gave you opportunities by email and phone this uh, weekend to try to clarify this situation. Since I have no other statement from you besides what your statement from the conference was, I can't say anything on behalf of the conference beyond what is on paper, and it's not great. So, okay, yep. let's take it from the start. Brevard plays in the hellstorm of weather in Maryville. There are opportunities to yeah. just kill that game off, but they felt obligated, from what I understand, to finish this game to be able to essentially lay claim to the title for the USA South because if they did so, they would be 3-1 and one versus conference members, which is the first tiebreaker versus Huntingdon, ultimately. Because remember, they split the season series. They play two games. They split yep. them. Score is not part of the equation 
So it was basically... Just win-loss, yeah. Win-loss, yep. So Huntingdon against conference competition, or conference uh, members, I should say, that's the wording used, let's keep it that way, was 2-1. and one. Brevard was 3-1 and one because they played a game against Averett, which is in the other division, but still a conference member. Okay, so Brevard's feeling was, we have to finish this game, we win this game, we win the USA South outright. Because I'll tell you why I think this is true. They could have, if they knew a coin toss was in the offing here as the only other option, they could have called up Tom Hart and said, flip the damned coin now during one of these breaks yeah. where we're kind of fleeing for safety. Flip it now. If we're going to lose this coin toss, no matter what, we'll end the game, get out of here, and you know, not have to play in a deluge. Yeah, sure. So, you know, a provisional coin toss, there's nothing against doing it. I, if I'm Huntington, I say, yeah, go ahead. I mean, if it's a safety issue, please do. Okay, well, it doesn't change the outcome of anything at that point. So they finished yeah. that game. The, the video of that game is like five and a half hours long. So it's it's longer than this show, believe it or not. I, I didn't think that was possible. But <laughs> That's the one thing. <laughs> so, okay, they finished the game. Next thing you know, all the chatter on Twitter is, hey, coin toss in the USA South. And we're all kind of like, huh? Because remember, yeah. when you make tiebreakers, let's go back to the SAA and their tiebreaker. I, I, I had to get the proverbial whiteboard Points out. Points for and against and all this yep. sort of stuff. Yeah. As, as I turn on my printer to get my whiteboard, I, I, mean, your I, printer. There you go. I, I couldn't even get you know down on the whiteboard Zero. so long. But you know what? At least. Yeah, yeah. The SAA had this process that Coach White and Coach K talked about on here. In at least they knew going in what they had to do. In the conference, yeah, I mean, Coach decided. K was on the sideline in the second quarter or at halftime, asking his coaches like, "How much do we need to win or lose this game by in order to make the conference?" Like they knew right then and there. Like the fact that the USA South doesn't is a problem. So in the quasi preseason, according to Brevard, the question was asked to Tom Hart, "Hey." What do we use her tiebreaker? Tom Hart says, use the handbook. Coaches say, well, the handbook says it's for the conference, not for divisions. So shouldn't we be doing something a little different? Because it really doesn't apply to divisions. According to Brevard, he said in the Zoom call, use the handbook. So Brevard uses the handbook, literally. And the handbook says record versus conference members it does not distinguish the fact that Averett was not a conference game by definition and this is what the whole question hinges on the Averett is a conference member and as such if the wording of the handbook had said conference games or conference competitions Brevard would not be in the right here because this is conference yeah. Members, Brevard has a point. Yeah. So the going through the rest of it, there's no other way. There was no like points against tiebreaker. No, there was no other tiebreaker that would solve the short of a coin toss. Seriously, I mean, folks, I get the spring season was a little bit of a hodgepodge of stuff going on here, but this was foreseeable. You only had three conference games or divisional games, if you want. Uh, being played. The chances of a tie were actually high and we get to a Very coin high. toss. This is not 
what you want to happen. This is what you, you basically throw everything in the kitchen sink in, and if you still end up in the situation, well then, at least you tried. They didn't try crap in this case. This is ridiculous. <laughs> this is a coin toss as the next legitimate tiebreaker? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Yeah. So, yeah. okay. Huntingdon, I don't blame you here. And anybody that's faulting Huntingdon here, no, okay? Any Abervard yeah. is talking a good day's work over there when we asked the question, would you be willing to play a third game if it could be uh, finagled? Yeah, sure. A rubber match for save, but it causes a lot of schedule issues. So, as we're showing on the screen now, we propose something where on the 17th of April, which does not displace the Suwani Brevard game on the 10th, the winners of these two games, the Methodist Huntingdon game and the uh, North Carolina Wesleyan and Brevard game, the winners of those games at the very least, and the losers if they want to as well, meet up for one additional spring game just for kicks. We can't control what the conference does. And a lot of uh, Brevard folks have come at us and said, hey, you know, do us a favor here, or we want to play for the hardware. Why can't you make it for the hardware? We can't do anything, folks. We are in control. Yeah. Tom Hart won't even return no. my call right now, apparently. And that's an issue for me because we'd love to communicate better what's going on here. We can't. We yeah. can only tell you what we've seen, read, talked to people about, etc. Okay? This is not our control. What we're trying to do is say, there has to be an... We're just shedding better, some light on the yeah, situation. There has to be a better equitable way of doing this. And the yeah. USA South is sort of just like twirling their thumbs on this, saying, yeah, the games are the games on Saturday. Have fun, everybody. Good luck. And uh, we'll have some hardware for the winner. Well, you know what? Play a game on the 17th, guys. Whoever wins those games, play the game on the 17th. And make, make that game something that's fun that matters and if somebody wants to say hey you know what you beat us you're the champ with the usa south that's the right if the team that wins it uh, doesn't have the ability to do that but wants to claim a title of some sort themselves there's nothing stopping them ucf did it okay what four years ago in uh yes yeah. here in orlando <laughs> so you know the school buys the rings anyway so You'll still get your ring if you want, and the, they can put some distinction on there about this. I get Brevard wants to play for a championship, the conference championship, and sure. they may they have some. To. But you know what? Huntingdon deserves a certain level here, too. This was not the school's well. fault. This is the conference's no. fault. It's true. Yeah. Okay. If Brevard is correct and these questions were asked and these were the answers at the end of the day, then you know what? the conference messed up and yeah it shouldn't come to a coin I then again my table well then again though there are other teams out there in places that are much more difficult to schedule games than they are in north carolina or tennessee that are still looking for games and are probably going to schedule games so i think our idea of just put one more out there is not such a bad thing you have the protocols in place. Things have been working. What's the issue with one more? So, once again, I just I'm disappointed in the adults. They they are the ones who will really carry the blame. The coaching staff has no control of this. The players have no control over this. It's the administrators of these conferences, and 
you know, if I was the, the president of Brevard or some of these other schools in this conference, I'd have some pretty candid words for the people who are running my athletic programs right about now, because this is not okay for the student athletes to have a very flippant thing, especially in this time where it's really hard to even get a game scheduled. It, 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 this is unacceptable. Come on, grow up. And if you feel you've done something that's not defensible in the conference commissioner position or something like that, at least have the wherewithal to come forward and say it. Take take the responsibility, I guess, is, you know. Accountability, accountability. is a thing. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Okay. And maybe it would make it easier. Okay. We, we step forward on Saturday night to tell the Brevard folks, take a deep breath. Okay. We're, we're on this. Yeah. We're trying to get you an answer. Sure. Don't get don't inundate this guy's mailbox or voicemail or whatever because he'll never find our requests if you do so. I, in fact, that's why I called on Sunday morning to try to you know say, hey, you may not have seen our email because of you know things that were going on, but no response on Monday even ultimately that I know of. I, I you were cc'd on this. I, I don't think you saw one either, and yeah, your email email yeah. box uh, crossed. So we have seen nothing. So Tom, Tom Hart, Doctor Tom Hart. Commissioner, come on our show. Uh, we can record it Wednesday or Thursday, Tuesday even if you wanted, and uh, get it out there for the end of the week, and even play some clips yeah. on Twitter leading up to it. Up to you. I, we've laid yeah, out. Yeah, even, even if the whole the answer is that it was out of your hands and you had no, that's fine. Just let it's us better know. Better than what's out there right now. Uh, that's for darn sure. Targeting. Let's talk about targeting briefly here. Jefferson Fritz. I think you're one of the best defensive players in the country, hands down. Not a dirty player. I, I mean, you are incredible. I hear he's going to go to the. I hear he's got some interest from the NFL. Like this guy could be playing on Sundays in another year. I mean, I, I would not doubt it. Uh, the only uh, thing going against him is his height. I would say, but I mean, he plays well beyond his height. Uh, he has put on muscle upon muscle. I mean, I'm thinking back to the photo of me interviewing him from the 2018 Stag Bowl uh, Championship. And looking at uh, him now, it's like jeepers. How much muscle did this guy put on over the last couple of years, a few years? Yeah, right. It's incredible. I mean, and he, his gameplay is just phenomenal. He, he's such a, he's an athlete. The, you know, you want to put a dictionary definition out there, Jefferson Fritz, Athlete, put it right next to each other in the in the dictionary. You've got it. So, their moment in the fourth quarter, midway through that fourth quarter, we showed in crunch time. Here it is again. He leaves his feet in the middle of making the tackle. Doesn't wrap. Sort of just goes straight at the much taller tight end. Problem is the tight end is starting to double over a little bit and trying to get some more yardage. His head goes a little bit lower, and Fritz by leaving his feet goes into the chin area, and the person that throws a flag is the wingman. The wingman has the best view of the house of where this hit occurs on the body. Okay, We are always getting the backward angle of this. The wingman had the front angle and did not even hesitate to throw the targeting flag. A lot of people out there are saying it didn't involve the crown of the helmet, and that's even up for debate to a certain degree. But again, we had the discussion of the Wesley-Montclair game. We're going to have this discussion again. There is a second part to the targeting rule. It is 9-1-4 in the college rulebook. And it's called targeting and making forcible contact to head or neck area of a defenseless player. And that includes using your 
a helmet, forearm, hand, fist, elbow, or shoulder. Not just the crown of the helmet, but any part of the helmet in the area that is highlighted here. And there are two indicators that were violated here that sort of give the prompting for a targeting call. Fritz launched himself, he left his feet, and he led with his helmet in that process. It was an easy call. Uh, the referees that I have spoken to, I've talked to two referees that I respect. In fact, one covered Division Three game on Saturday, and I hit him on his way back from that game, showed him the video. He said, in real time, it was close, but looking at the ISO and knowing the wingman had the best view of the house in that, he's pretty secure with that flag and thinks it was a great flag, ultimately, as he watched the thing. Um, okay. The second referee, who did not ref uh, this past weekend, said it was a clear call. Not uh, not even a doubt, and thinks the crown of the helmet probably was actually involved in it. But even if it wasn't, you didn't need the crown to violate it. So, to players out there, this is not a discussion to you know shame people in this whole thing. This is a discussion to remind you that the crown of the helmet is not the only thing that's used in the targeting determinations out there. Okay, don't leave your feet. That's a huge thing. As you leave your feet in making a tackle against the receiver, you are going to be up for a potential launch scenario, especially if your helmet goes too high. Mm. Number yeah. two, okay. don't lead with your head no matter what you do. Get your head back and try to wrap. It's the only real way to ensure that you're not going to be called for that target ultimately. It kills the game. I get it. I don't want to see people ejected from halves of games and, you know, the second game. Yeah. When's Fritz going to have to serve the other half of a game suspension because of this and all this other stuff? It ruins the game for all of us. So please remember there is a second part of this rule, and you've got to begin to accept the fact it's not going anywhere. So again, Fritz, I know you didn't intend it. I know you were playing football the way you play football, which is... You know, with passion and just great all play. American yeah. level. Yep. <laughs> this was a moment that. So, Frank, you're telling the. So, but this is a moment where the the wingman isn't the the your your buddy trying to help you. At, you know, <laughs> <At> the bar. <laughs> so this is a wingman who's actually an official. Is what I'm yes. getting out of this conversation. And you have to watch out. In this case, guys, watch out for the wingman. He's not there to help you. <laughs> Wrap up a different way, and you'll be a good. All right, that's that, that's, that's what I got out of this. <laughs> that's two. Number three. Let's take uh, one final look at the Utica Alfred uh, play, and uh, we're going to zoom in on it. I, at first, I didn't think it was a good call, but as you look at it in slow mo and zoomed in, you'll notice that Lamont McGriff sort of takes his biggest impact at the two yard line. If you notice, his teammate is literally underneath his backside as he's going down backward there. And that's okay. the problem. Okay, he's, let's say he's six feet tall. The ball's not gonna be at the top of his head first off. So, you know, two yards is six feet. Number two problem is that he's never, I don't think, able to extend fully backward over the goal line because his teammate is basically in the way underneath him. And so by the time he hits the ground with anything other than his feet or his hands, which is down, by contact at that point, I don't think the ball had crossed. I think this was the correct call. 
uh, we have not seen any video to tell us otherwise. We asked, uh, although it's you know late and also uh, people are traveling here. But for those that are a little bit you know irked at the call, I, I don't see anything. And like I said, initially I thought it was the wrong call, but once I zoomed in on it and slowed it down, I realized this may have actually been a really good call by the referee. Again, I can't guarantee the angle we have is not what I would call the angle you use to call these plays. I have a feeling if Utica got it, they would have won get with D3, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, do you play overtime in these games at this point with nothing on the line beyond, you know, pride? I don't think so. I think you go for two in that scenario and end the game. Utica, look, you took too much time off the clock. You you had three timeouts, you controlled the clock, and you let it go down to virtually nothing. That was a mistake because you could have had two or three plays after the pass interference in the end zone to still score and not let it come down to that scenario. So... Look, long story short, those two teams played some great games, those two games from Tuesday and uh, Monday. Sure. Uh, I, I, I think it's fitting it ends up as one and one And I think they learned a lot about themselves, about what they need to work on moving forward here. And we'll see if they get another game, like you said, in crunch time later on this season. Sir, I'll give you the last word tonight uh, or today as uh, we are uh, well over the hour mark here, uh, you know, going through all this uh, football action and these controversies and whatnot. And uh, again, uh, Curtis Hellman's passing took us all by surprise this weekend. Um, the, the pleasure and the privilege to play football, again, is so important. And this weekend was a huge reminder again as to why. But go ahead. You know, I don't think I, I can really sum it up any better than that, Frank. I mean, I just feel like it's, uh, you know, we're turning the corner here on what's been an interesting spring season. We've seen a lot of great positives and successes and things we should really applaud. But unfortunately, man, this, this news out of Heidelberg is just, it's a, it's a proverbial gut punch. It's just one of those things that just, you know, unfortunately, like you said, at the top of the show, this is not the first time something like this has happened, albeit, I mean, this is more, you know, accidental than some of the other things that we've seen. And, but at the end of the day, um, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, we, we just have to keep pushing on because I feel like, you know, a guy like Curtis, I mean, you heard coach Donaldson, this guy loved football. Part of the reason why we do this is because we love football. We're not here necessarily to say, one thing is better or not, or to shame this and that. I mean, I know we came down a little hard on the USA South and, and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, the, this game is supposed to be fun. This is supposed to be something for these young people that gives them lifelong memories with this brotherhood, these uh, fam almost familial connections. And, and so I just hope that people that are watching this keep this thing in perspective that like, you know what, you know, we're, we're here because we care and we're trying to, advocate for the student athletes ultimately because they have such a short window of this and, and their families who love them more than anybody, you know, ever could in, on the planet. I mean, I know, you know, with my own kids, like this whole story, just the thought of, you know, I heard Scott Donaldson talking about the sisters of, of Curtis and all that. I'm like, you know, man, like, what would I, what would I do if one of, you know, one of my daughters had to deal with the loss of their brother? Just, I mean, it, it, it breaks your heart. And so um, instead of trying to be snarky or this or that or the other thing, we're just trying to keep it real. And if sometimes us being a little too honest is 
hurt somebody's feelings. Hey, we're, you know, that's not our point. Like we said, you, you can always come, come back at us and talk to us on or off the record. We've done that multiple times over the 12 plus almost 13 years we've been doing this show. We've mended some, <laughs> some broken bridges over the, you just tell us, tell us the truth. That's all we care about. I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, the game of football is kind of about the truth. It's, you know, you look at it and team that plays better usually wins, <laughs> you know, and that's unfortunately how it is. And um, I don't know what I'm, I'm rambling now, Frank, so you better bail me out. <laughs> We've said it before. We do the show for the student athletes first, the coaches second, the schools third, the conferences fourth, when it really gets down to it. And when it's the student athletes being affected most, we're going to call out yeah. the people that are doing the things that are affecting them adversely for whatever reason. Again, it's not here to, to pit Brevard against Huntingdon or something like that. It, it's not that. Huntingdon is not doing anything wrong here. Maybe they're avoiding not. a third game in some people's minds. Well, try to scheduling it. That's the question. But, hey, Huntingdon could stand up and say, we'll play on April 17th if we win this game this weekend. We'll see where we go with that question. It's still an open question because that's still a few weeks away when you really get down to it. We'll have scheduled discussion, predictions, and uh, probably a player guest coming up on Friday. Uh, in the meantime, we will miss the Carnegie Mellon at Waynesburg game and the Geneva at Washington and Jefferson games. Uh, that, those two games will be played on Thursday, but we'll be covering the rest of the schedule on Friday, uh, perhaps we'll uh, drop you a Twitter prediction on the Carnegie Mellon game or the Geneva game. Uh, we'll see where we go with that. Until then, folks, thanks for joining us. And again, rest in peace, Curtis Hellman.